Hello and welcome to the Cracking Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm Anna, editor at TICE, and this week we are talking about mental health in cybersecurity and what businesses should be doing to help their employees to deal with the stresses of the job. Mental health has, quite rightly, been under the spotlight recently in the media and was a focus at this year's Black Hat Cybersecurity Conference. Long hours and high stress levels, the cybersecurity profession is not for the faint-hearted. And with data breaches on the rise, is it right that cybersecurity professionals carry all that pressure on their shoulders from the board down? Furthermore, what's the impact on their mental health? With me to explore this topic is Trustwave's Chris Schuler, Senior Vice President of Managed Security Services. Chris has a background in the military and has seen the effects of poor mental health firsthand. Remember, I'll be back at the end of the podcast with a cyber tip of the week. But first, here is Chris, who begins by explaining why he had to take some time out from the industry. Yeah, I think I think burnout's a real thing um, in our industry. I mean, if you look at even what what I did, um, <clears throat> you know, I spent uh, almost a decade dedicated to cybersecurity and kind of left to cloud just for a change of pace. Um, I think it helped me dramatically because it's just, you know, doing something different um, with a different approach. When I came back to security, I was I was fresh. So the last two and a half years for me personally have been very fresh and, you know, um, enlightening in many ways. And I think, you know, if you look at professionals in general um, in this industry, you know, every day could be your worst day, you know, and that's a daunting task, like a daunting reality not even a task. It's a reality that every day you walk in could be the day that you get notified that you know your environment's been breached and you don't even know about it. Um, so live in that constant state of fear. Um, also, cybersecurity people, you know, just like um, you know, IT administrators get called in the middle of the night because they think there may have been something in the network. They think that there may have been a breach. They don't even know. They just saw something anomalous and they want you to get on the phone now and be on the phone all night long. And then the expectation is the next morning you get back up and you go in the office again. Um, so I think, you know, the, the, the proliferation of threats of what's going on right now, like in this space that I'm in and, you know, how it's become so targeted to each industry and each corporation. So now there's actual adversaries that are targeting my company personally, like directly, like they're actively trying to figure out ways to come after me. And that's another daunting reality, right? So it's not just, you know, it's a matter of if it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Now, do I have the right controls? And now all of a sudden I'm second-guessing myself. So all of these external pressures then kind of get bundled up. And now what we're seeing in, you know, kind of in our pressures report is we're seeing that that personal accountability shift. So it's no longer this external um, accountability that are kind of forcing the security managers now we're seeing the security managers really become owners of it themselves, which is really where it should be. It should have always been there. But that now becomes, I own it all. I'm fully responsible for it. So I think that's one of the main drivers now is that you know this proliferation of threats combined with this personal kind of accountability. Um, those two, you, know, you stack those up and you know, it's, it's a lot that someone would have to deal with on a daily basis. So what do those two factors have? What impact do they have on your mental health? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the fact that, you know, you're never good enough. You know, you, you, like if you think about regular IT, 
Um, you may have some bugs here and there, but you, know, you spend a lot of time developing an application. You test it rigorously, um, and then you release it. You kind of just take a step back, a little bit of a pause, right? And maybe a pause for a day, two, a week. Uh, maybe a pause for a few months while you do your next development. Cybersecurity, you don't get that. You know, it's just like working in law enforcement or in the military. It's every day there's an adversary out there or a bad person out there trying to do harm, doing harm to your corporation um, or doing harm to yourself. So I think that is where we're seeing like the big shift now. You know, they're, they're, people are individually feeling that pressure now. Um, and that's where I think their mental health, you know, with a lot of corporations, um, corporations aren't really addressing that mental health. They don't even think it's really even a problem. Um, and I think that's really where you're starting to see, you know, people getting burned out. And, you know, one thing that I, I highlight uh, quite a bit on burnout, which I think is probably the biggest concern on burnout is burnout's going to do one of two things for a cybersecurity person, right? One, it's going to be the person becomes kind of asleep at the wheel, you know, where they're not really focused and paying attention like they should because they're just burnt out. Or the second one is they want to leave. And we know in, in, in the industry that we're in that the job shortages, million plus, going to be two million in the next two years, right? Um, so there's more than enough jobs out there. So if you get burnt out and you want to leave and go someplace else and you're moderately an okay cybersecurity person, you're going to find a job somewhere. Like you're going to get a job. That's not a problem. So I think those two factors are you know, really a harsh reality for corporations that they need to adhere to to understand that if you don't address it and help your managers and your cybersecurity people work through it and help them kind of have that work-life integration, balance, whatever you want to call it, ultimately they're going to have one of two things happen, right? It's that sleep of the switch where you're not monitoring anymore or you're just going to say, well, I'm just done. I'm going to go someplace else. A lot of companies simply have one person in charge of the whole security. Is that is that right anymore? Is there just too much pressure? Yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's completely unrealistic. I mean, it really is. I mean, even this. And we work we work with companies from very very small to, you know, Fortune 100, Fitzy 100. Um, the, the challenge is that with just one person, you have a single throat to choke, right, and a single fail failure point as well. So if that one person leaves, who's going to backfill them? You know, it's not going to be a cybersecurity person, right? Because it doesn't take time to to find the person and to hire them and train them, right? So you always need at least two people, even if it's a backup that's going to help. And, and I think if, if, if you're wanting to just have one, like some corporations just want to have one kind of focal point, then someone else needs to help own that responsibility. You can't just put it all on that one person's shoulders. So if it's the CIO, if it's a CFO, who, you know, the chief risk officer, a lot of corporations are developing these new kind of titles and roles, that's fine. But they need to also own some of it as well, like own the accountability. And not just from a program, budget, strategy perspective, from a day-to-day perspective. Because that's really where the mental health comes in. It's not the strategy and you know, focusing. I think we, we would all love to be in that world every day. Um, that's exciting. But living a day-to-day, waking up every morning in the middle of the night, etc., that's really where the accountability has to be. And there needs to be ownership shared if it's just an individual. Post-traumatic stress disorder has been used uh, for for describing mental health in cybersecurity and and all the effects that um, and the pressures that come up. Is this? I mean, obviously, this this term, this phrase is used 
in war zones and war, war trauma. Is this a fair term to use when we're talking about cybersecurity? And also, are, what are the similarities between the two camps? Yeah, I mean, you're asking you're asking a guy who, who actually came from the military. Um, I spent a number of years, um, you know, working with the special operations units around the world. Um, I, I don't know if it's if it's an appropriate term. Um, I do feel that you're kind of taken away from people who really do have PTSD that are really traumatic experiences. Um, but I do think there are similarities. Maybe if you can think of a, a, a new name. Um, to kind of lessen and take away from, you know, not not take away from the people who truly uh, need that distingu- distinguishing kind of um, name. But but I do think there are elements, though. If you look at you know what PTSD is, there are a lot of elements, though, for people that have went through a breach and went through a breach where you know their either their job was on their line, or again, like this is a very small, pretty pretty much niche community, right? You. You're going to know people. You're going to, you know, I, I, I'm in London today and I'm going to walk through a conference here in a minute and I'm going to probably know 20% of the people here. We've worked together for the last 20 years. So if you're in the middle of a breach and something happens and you are the person responsible, there's a bit of a tarnishing that comes with your name now that you have to somehow fix, you know, change your persona so that people can understand that, well, it wasn't me. It was, I didn't get enough money. I didn't get the appropriate support or it was a user, not myself, right? But all the controls are in place. So there, there is an element of, of personal accountability, which now all of a sudden, if you factor in that kind of, you know, every single day reality that they're dealing with, um, when something does happen, you know, absolutely. I mean, they're dealing with that for weeks, for months, for years, you can look at any of the major breach cases out there, and you know we've been in the industry for quite some time. We can we, we know the people that were the leaders in those organizations, and when we see them today, right, like they've moved on, but it's taken them years to move on, and that's where I think there are similarities with PTSD because you know a lot of people that really suffer from PTSD, it's a lifetime. It doesn't just go away, um, and I think in cybersecurity, a lot of times when you have that personal traumatic experience, it doesn't just go away. Um, so I think I think there there's similarities, but I think using that that name probably isn't the most appropriate thing to do. Do you think everybody has resiliency to be um, a chief information security officer? Yeah, I, I mean honestly, I think it's uh, you know it's a role that that people really need to to understand the qualities that you're looking for. Um, I think the number one quality, which many times is probably most under undervalued is the the calmness under pressure. If you think about really that role in, in, in their staff below them, right, or the individual themselves, their ability to, to really stay calm in absolute chaos, in unknown chaos, because a lot of times in the industry that we're in, we don't know what's going on, just something bad's happening, right? Systems are going offline, you're getting potential ransomware, you're getting online news agencies reporting about what your company did or didn't do, but you don't know. That's that's your reality when you get woke up, right? So I think being calm under pressure is is the number one undervalued skill, attribute, you know, personal trait that a chief information security officer should have to be effective in their job. <clears throat> and I think equally as important, you know, even on this this very topic, being calm under pressure is also going to allow you to manage the stress even better. So that you don't get so worked up because it happened. It's it's going to happen. But how you respond, how you prepare for it, 
before it happens, those are all things that you can do so that when it does happen, you can manage it much better. You know, and I've seen it firsthand. I've worked with clients that have done all the pre-work. They've done you know, incident response preparedness. So they've prepared for the time when something bad's happened. They've educated their boards, their executives, their media teams. Not because they had something bad happen. They just know it's a reality. It's going to happen at some point. And then when something did actually happen, I was there with them and could experience it. And they were very calm. It was, let's use playbook A, playbook B, playbook C, playbook D. There were still some elements of you know nervousness and hesitation. But the fact that you have the, the, the playbooks there that you've built for that scenario, I think that's the, that's the thing when you look forward and you think, well, how can, we, how can we do things to prepare to make it better? Not just to say it's a harsh reality, mm-hmm. right? I think preparedness is you know, probably 50% of the, of the battle itself. So that's on an individual level. But yeah. what about in terms of a business creating a resilient workforce? What are your tips? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the big thing for the workforce itself, you know, I think um, having programs in place for the people that are doing the jobs um, that give them the chance to kind of unwind a bit. Um, you know, think about kind of what we do. Um, we have, you know, social activities all the time for our people. Um, we have ping pong tables, foosball tables, uh, video games, you know, things that people really can kind of take a step off of the keyboard and from the monitor and just kind of openly play, talk, play games, whatever it may be, um, to disconnect their minds a bit from the reality. Um, we also have things like meditation rooms so that people can go away and just maybe read a book for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe pray in a kind of private, secluded room so that they don't feel like I'm always in this constant state of chaos, right, and this high-pressure environment. So um, we encourage people to take a couple breaks a day, um, every one of our operations center. Um, we also uh, don't let our people work more than a certain period of time as well, like online and actively uh, working because we know after a certain point, their effectiveness declines and so does their you know satisfaction um, because they're constantly doing it. So after how many hours? Yeah, we do between four to five hours total. Um, that's kind of max. We see, you know, within about a two hour period, um, two hours and then some sort of break or transition is where people are probably the, the, the most um, effective. And it's, it's, you know, it lines up with universities a little bit too, right? That, you know, within about an hour, hour 15 in a college setting, it was probably max to, you know, receive information. And we feel that, you know, two hours is kind of max to receive and give um, for our people before we rotate them. And then four hours is kind of the totality. So in kind of two hour blocks, and then we move them off to project strategy, um, other, you know, training, et cetera. So that's kind of the effectiveness for us. And I think if you, if you, if you approach your workforce in the same way, um, you know, corporations workforce and you break up their day into chunks so that you manage what they're doing in, in kind of larger increments, um, you can do the same thing. It's not just from a worldwide player like, like Trustwave, but from an actual corporation, you can do the same exact thing. Hope you found that informative and a big thank you to Chris. And now, time for our cyber tip of the week. Avoid clicking on links and emails. Even if you think you know where the email is from, instead, try typing in the address. That is, if you trust it. That's all we have time for. 
please do rate, review and comment on our shows. And you can also follow us at Tice News and tweet us your podcast suggestions. For now, it's bye from us. Join us next week for more cybersecurity discussion.